You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Rebellion was against God, and this is what pride is. Pride is against God. Pride is rebellion against God, and rebellion against God, folks, never turns out good for you. Repeat that. Rebellion against God never turns out good for the person who is in rebellion. Rebellion is a dangerous thing. We all have bad days and sometimes bad seasons. Have you ever let that create feelings of rebellion in your heart? Pastor Dave is going to bring us to a rebellion in the time of the kings today and show us what the end of that rebellion looks like. Guard your heart against rebellion and continue to walk in the light. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 1 as he begins his message with a little help from my friends. Continue in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, we're going to finish, hopefully, this chapter today. I've bitten off a lot of scriptures, a lot of scriptures that we're going to try to get through. So if you'll turn into your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 1, specifically verses 11 through 53. 1 Kings, sandwiched in between 2 Samuel and 2 Kings. 1 Kings. So as we began, we found King David old and advanced in years. After living an extremely full and demanding life, David was basically exhausted. His body was fragile and he couldn't seem to keep warm. He had many years of service to the people, to the kingdom, and most importantly, to the Lord. But it had taken its toll. But it was the consequences of David's sin that really wearied him especially the chastisement of the Lord for his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and the ultimate murder of her husband. The constant turmoil brought upon with his family, the rape of Tamar, the death of Ammon, Absalom's rebellion and subsequent death, watching the Israeli die because of his sin, all took a mighty toll on David. I love how Guzik puts it, quote, David was about 70 at this time. He seems even a lot older than his years, but for David, it wasn't just the years, it was the mileage. He seemed to live the lives of four or five men in his lifetime. And if you were with us as we went through First and Second Samuel, you saw that play out. You saw that play out. It became wearisome to him. To keep him warm, they found a virgin to come and comfort him and take care of him. Many of the scholars think that although this was common practice, that David knew it wasn't right, and he should have avoided the appearance of evil. On the other hand, other scholars think that it was proper for David to allow this and do this, because most likely, and we're going to find out later on as we study the first kings, that he probably took this girl as his wife or concubine. 
So it made it, although God was against multiple wives, but it was okay at that time because it was common practice. But David's oldest son, Adonijah, saw an opportunity. He was an opportunist. He saw an opportunity to take away the kingdom from his father. Pride rose up in him. And I love, I don't love what he said, but you can tell the pride in his voice when he said, I will be king. I will be king. God hates pride. He really does. Pride separates us from him. Pride separates from him. And even Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, whomever exalts himself will be humbled. Those who exalt themselves will be humble. But we know if we allow the Lord, if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he then will exalt us. That's also scripture. And in Psalm 10, verse 4, David himself writes this. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. So the proud countenance of the wicked cares not for God, thinks not of God. And that's what we see with Ajanida. He didn't consult God. He didn't think about God. God was in none of his ways. So he decided that he was going to be king. He was an opportunist like we talked about last week. He saw a weakling. His father, he saw the kingdom was at hand. The kingdom was ripe for his taking, so he went after it. So he began to prepare himself, and the first thing he does is he gets Joab, the commander of David's army, and Abiathar, the priest, to follow him. While both these guys served with David for many, many years and stood beside him during his tough years, they turned against him when they too saw an opportunity. Their rebellion was against God. And this is what pride is. Pride is against God. Pride is rebellion against God. And rebellion against God, folks, never turns out good for you. I repeat that. Rebellion against God never turns out good for the person who is in rebellion. Rebellion is a dangerous thing. Rebellion is a dangerous thing. You remember when we studied 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, in verse 23, Samuel, basically rebuking Saul for his actions. And he says this in verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And then he says, but you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. So Saul, in his rebellion, is said to be like witchcraft. And stubbornness is like idolatry. Why? Well, stubbornness usually means it's all about me. It's all about me. It's interesting. Rebellion is witchcraft. Another says, if you're rebelling against God, you might as well be a witch or a warlock, someone who practices the occult. If you have a sovereign spirit, you know better off than the person who is worshiping an idol. This business of rebellion and stubbornness is something that God is never pleased with in our lives. Never. We have to be extremely careful of these kinds of things. When we rebel against God, it usually means that our hearts have become hard to the things of God. 
When we rebel against God and go our own way, it usually means that our hearts have been hardened to the things of God. Several times in the Bible, specifically in Hebrews 3, rebellion is spoken about as hardness of heart. Listen to what it is written in chapter 3 of Hebrews, verses 7 through 15. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter their rest. What was the rebellion in the in the wilderness? Can somebody tell me? Unbelief. Twelve spies went into the land. Twelve spies went into the land to seek it out. They wanted to look for it, to see what happened. And they came back. And two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, we can take these guys. The Lord has given us this land. We can go in there and take them. But ten of them said, oh, no, there's giants in the land. We can't go in there. They were afraid. So they stayed out. This was the rebellion against God. God wanted them to take the land. They could have easily have taken the land. Instead, what did they have to do? They had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Every one of them, every one of them that was of age at that time died off and never entered into the promised land because of rebellion. Because the hardness in their hearts caused by unbelief, they had to wander for 40 years. Rebellion is a scary thing against God. Rebellion can cause a lot of pain. So how were Adonijah, Joab, and Abiathar rebelling against God? Well, they were because they knew God's word and they were rebelling against it. Scripture tells us, and we're going to get to this as we study further on in in 1st and 2nd Kings, that the Lord had chosen Solomon to be the next king of Israel and everybody knew it. Everybody knew that it was God's word. So if you go against God's word, it is rebellion, sin. It's rebellion, absolutely. So they were going against this. So they thought that they could make a new kingdom, that they could lift up Adonijah. Now, what was wrong with Adonijah besides his pride? Why not him over Solomon? Adonijah was the oldest living son All the other sons of David were dead. Adonijah was the oldest living one. Why not Adonijah? He wasn't God's choice. (laughs) That's why not. That's why not. People tell me, why did God choose Hebrew, uh, the the Israelites, to to make a nation? I said, because he's God. (laughs) You know? If you can't can't faction the sovereignty of God, you have a big problem. God does what he wants. He chooses whom he chooses. He has mercy on whom he has mercy and compassion on whom he has compassion. He's God. So it was supposed to be Solomon who was going to be, God, who was going to be the next king. But many others besides these guys remained faithful. We had Zadok the priest, Benaiah the leader of David's personal guard, Nathan the prophet, and David's mighty men. They all stayed with David. And it's interesting, again, in Psalm 9, that David once again writes these things 
In Psalm 9, verse 16, he says, The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked is snared in the work of her own hand. The snare for the wicked, the snare for Adonijah and these guys, pride. That was the snare. That was the trap that was laid out for them, and they fell right into it. So this is where we are. Adonijah is having this great big party. It's my party, and I'll have it what I want. I don't know where that came from. Anyhow, he was having this great big party, and he invited all the guys who were with him. But he didn't invite Benaniah. He didn't invite Nathan. He didn't invite Zadok. He didn't invite Solomon, but he invited all his other brothers. And he didn't invite David's men. He was trying to usurp David's kingdom. So this big party's going on. This big party's going on. Nathan the prophet now comes to center stage once more. Nathan the prophet... The one who came to David, who was with David for a long, long time. He was a loyal friend. He was his great advisor. He had been the one throughout David's side through all the turmoil of the dark days after Bathsheba. Because it was Nathan, if you remember, who delivered the good and bad news to David after Bathsheba and Uriah. It was Nathan that told David of the consequences that would come to him because of his sin. And then to turn around, it was Nathan who told David about the Davidic covenant that someone from David's own seed would sit on the throne forever. And we knew he was speaking about the Messiah that would come. And this was called the Davidic covenant. So David and Nathan had been friends for a long time. When Nathan heard that Adonijah was up to, he immediately went to work on David's behalf. And he goes to Bathsheba with his plan, and she in turn goes to the king. So we're picking up our story in chapter 1 and verse 12. Or 11, I lied. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon, who shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adoniah become king? It was a matter of life and death. It was a matter of life and death. Why? A new king gets rid of all his rivals. If Adonijah had stayed king, he surely would have killed Solomon and Bathsheba. He would have killed them because they were his closest rivals. But Solomon was going to be king. David had made this promise to Bathsheba, although it's not recorded in this specific text. It is recorded in 1 Chronicles 22. David did, in fact, intend for Solomon to succeed him. And I love this. Once again, going to Guzik, he says, This was a remarkable display of grace, grace by the Lord, that the son of the the wife David took through the adultery and murder in the most infamous scandal of his life would become heir to his throne. That's like the epitome of grace. It's like grace thrown out. So then Bathsheba goes to David. 
Nathan said, then while you are still taking, talking to the king, I will also come in after you and confirm your words. Let's read 15 to 21. Bathsheba went in for the king, and Abishag, the Shunammite, was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? And she said to him, my lord, you swore by the Lord, your God, to your maidservant, saying, assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me and shall sit on my throne. Now look. So now look, Adonijah has become king. And now, my lord king, do you not know about it? He has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant has not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of Israel are on you and that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king after him. Otherwise, it will happen when my lord, the king rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. So she's basically doing everything that Nathan told her to do. She is telling everything that she says. She mentions that we're going to be counted as offenders. Don't you understand? I think it's interesting that every, you know, we don't know which wife David loved the most. It's assumed that he might have loved Bathsheba the most, but he had multiple wives. Notice how she had to address him. She had to come in and get permission to speak. She had to bow before him. He was the king. Times have changed. I didn't mean anything by that. I just said times have changed. (laughs) Too late. Oh, I didn't. Whoa, boy. I got room for the other foot in there, believe me. Hang around. It might go in there sooner or later. But Bathsheba wasn't even finished speaking to David when Nathan entered, and he says the exact same thing, 22 to 27. And just then, while she was talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord, O king, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on the throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's son and commanders of the army, Abathar the priests, and look, they are eating and drinking before him, and, and they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me, me, your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah, the son of Jediah, nor the servant Solomon. Has this thing been done, my lord the king? And have and you have not told your servant? who should sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him? I love that. I like that. Nathan asked his important question. Did you anoint Adonai the king? Because if David says yes, game over. If David says, yeah, he's the one, game over, it's done. But we know that's not true. It's a logical question. It's an important question. Nathan needs to know. So David now knows of this rebellion that's taken place, and he has to act quickly to ensure that Solomon is king. And he makes this solemn oath. We're going to read 28 and 30. Then David, then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Surely Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on the throne in my place. So I certainly will do this day. 
He makes his solemn oath to Bathsheba. What I told you is the truth. Solomon will be king, not when I die, today. He's going to, so he's basically going to be co-heir there. He's going to be a co, co um, reigning. Verse 29 jumped out at me. I spent a couple seconds there, a couple minutes there. Something we can glean from verse 29. As David is addressing his wife Bathsheba, he declares this. He says, as the Lord lives, that has redeemed my soul out of all distress. What a cool testimony. What a cool testimony for David to say who has redeemed me out of all my distress. How many times do we read in the Psalms where David says, you have delivered me out of all my troubles. I cried out to you, Lord, and you delivered me from all my troubles. 22 times in the Psalms, we talk about this deliverance of the Lord. Now, he didn't say, Lord, you've kept me from distress, did he? No, we would wish he would have said that. He didn't say that. A lot of times we mistake the notion of God somehow is going to give me divine immunity from problems. Because I'm now his child, I'm going to be immune from the difficulties of the world and the troubles of life. That's not true. That's not going to happen. As a child of God, I'm going to face distressing situations. I don't have immunity from problems. I don't have immunity from sufferings, from hurts. We don't. But I do have God, my Father, who will deliver me out of all my distresses. And that is something we can really hang on. We can really glean from that, that when we're in a time of trouble, when we're in a time of woe, we can talk like what we talked on, on Sunday when Jesus said, my soul is trouble. God delivers us out of that trouble. How does he deliver us? By showing up. He shows up in the midst of the time of trouble and we get to declare his word and we get to declare his love for us and our thoughts are changed. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is, isn't the fact that we don't have distresses, it's the fact that we have the one who redeems us out of all of them. Where those who are not Christian still have to live in that problem and there's no redemption. They got to make their way the best they can or perish or whatever. But David says, the Lord redeemed me out of all my problems. He delivered me out of all my distresses. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10, Paul said, and spoke about God, who delivered us from so great death and does deliver us, and in whom I trust that he will still deliver us. Hear what he said there? Being a child of God doesn't give me any protection. But when I am a child of God, it means that I'm going to be delivered from them, in them, and away from them. I'm always going to be delivered. I will be delivered. I am being delivered. I have been delivered. It's a constant deliverance from these things. Constant deliverance. It's a rude awakening when we think that we're not going to have problems. All who live godly will suffer persecution. That's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy. Don't get discouraged when problems come along. Know that if you're a child of God, you don't have to face them by yourself. We talked about that on Sunday. You don't have to face them alone. God is with you and he knows what you're going through. He's been there. He's done that. He knows what you're going through. He's going to redeem me. He will help me with my problems. And he's going to bring forth a victory. You are assured.
You've been learning from the book of 1 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Have you ever found yourself in a place like King Solomon where the temptations of the world really had a grip on you? With all the gimmicks of the world, it's not surprising. It's also not surprising that you're not the only one. Many struggle with the temptation of letting worldly things lead them rather than let the things of the Lord lead. But there is hope. Just as Solomon came to recognize that all his women, wealth, and wisdom wasn't what really mattered, you too can learn that things of the world are deceiving. So rather than put your hope and faith in the things that pass away, put your hope and faith in the one who's everlasting. God is constant, he is faithful, and he will never pass away. If you missed any part of today's teachings or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you are listening, you realize that you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.